What is up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, and I'm coming to you live from a local West Michigan champion. His name is Andy Atkins. Andy is the CEO and creative of 730 Eddie Studios. Um, I love chatting with Andy because Andy just has a love for what he does. He owns a um, production studio. He owns a video production company, a video editing company. He's a content creator, and he's so much more than that. He's a good leader. He's a good man, and he's a good friend. Andy, um, I love that in a world of startups and fast pace and grow as fast as you can, Andy has a perspective of let's build a damn good business brick by brick and let's provide value and let's continue to grow that and the high growth fast pace will come. And he just has such a unique perspective on the world, um, not only through quote unquote the lens uh, of him being you know a, a business owner, but also literally in the content that he creates for so many amazing brands out there. So Andy, I just want to say a huge thank you to you. Thank you for the man that you are. If you're somebody who's interested in film, production, business, uh, or Montana, doesn't really matter. I would highly encourage you uh, to listen to this episode. It's a blast. And Andy, uh, thank you for who you are and thank you for the impact you've had on so many lives. Andy, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're both uh, coming from West Michigan. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting in downtown Zealand, beautiful downtown Zealand right now. I love that. I love that. Well, with uh, like I mentioned before, there's something ironic about two guys who work very different space, but in the video space in general, uh, sure. not 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 being on video or not being on you know not being on camera, which is kind of entertaining. But the other thing too is I think we need to work on uh, the whole podcast studio, which we'll get into at some point as well too. But, yes, uh, I'm fired up, fired up for this. So you know, give me uh, give me the background, give me your story. Excited to hear a little sure. bit more about you. Yeah. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, so my my background came, I started in TV way back in the late 90s in rural Montana, where I grew up, um, where we had a low power TV station for a 4-H project in really, really rural Montana, like 800 people thousands of cattle and we kind of joked that my that our tv station broadcast more cows than people so we were a class b license um and it was just a 4-h project of a bunch of kids so we had a really great instructor who kind of guided us to get to know tv equipment and each other and really sort of learn the biz and from there i sort of stayed with it um, i went to school at the university of montana go grizz and from there i went to news um, I worked in news while in college, as well as, excuse me, right out of college. Um, I went from Missoula, the market there to Orlando. From Orlando, I did news for a few years there, got some really crazy stories from that, um, and then got married. Um, I met my wife on my first internship there, actually. And we started, we sort of really started to figure out like, hey, what do we want to do long term? Uh, news is great, but not if you're married. <laughs> Um, you know, I was leaving at like three o'clock in the morning to go get shot at or chase hurricanes or go to a house fire or a car crash or whatever. Um, from there, my wife and I sort of decided, Hey, we're going to try Orlando for a few more years. Um, I worked at a couple jobs in Orlando. I worked for Darden, um, right at about 2008, 2009, the economy started to tank and people weren't going to Olive Garden and Red Lobster as much. So from there I left or was 
was was sort of left but shown the door at Darden um, and freelance for a bit, worked for Walt Disney World, and then I picked up a really cool gig at SeaWorld. Um, from sea, I worked at SeaWorld for almost three years, and SeaWorld was an amazing job. Um, got to hang out with killer whales and trainers and roller coasters and run around all the parks and do a bunch of really cool things. Video was really starting to take off in that sort of space at the time. We started YouTube channels and did sort of the corporate YouTube, corporate social media really was taking off. So it was a really exciting time to be in that amusement park, theme park world. From there, um, SeaWorld started, went through some transition. I was able to find a position after being let go from SeaWorld um, up here in Michigan. So that was 11 years ago, last January. Um, I worked at a small agency in Muskegon, learned a ton, met a ton of great people, sort of figured out what did I, what did I want to do. And my firstborn was born right at the end of 2013. And then by the early part of 2014, after staying home with her for six, seven months, decided, you know, I, I left my agency job at the first part of 2014, stayed home with my daughter, sort of figured out what I wanted to do for six months, stay at home dad with a brand new baby, um, and then started the agency thereafter. And started 730 Eddie Studios kind of grew out of me being home, but also trying to figure out what is it that I want to do. And it started as just me. And now eight years later, last month, we are more than 12 full-time employees, 15 total employees some contractors, and we just keep growing. And so it's, that's where we are. That's a lot of me. <laughs> Hopefully that's what you're looking for. That's no, I, love my, it. I love it. My whole career story from <laughs> Montana to Orlando to Michigan to the various things I've done in Michigan. Well, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story. So let's go back to the Montana days. So yeah, thousands, sure. of, thousands of cows to 800 people. Um, yes. You got to have a lot of, you got to have a lot of cow puns and cow jokes buried there somewhere. We've got lots of, we've got lots of cow jokes. A lot of <laughs> our ratings were more about the wheat than the people. Um, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, there was like, there was a lot. Yeah. Our households were more barns than anything. But, you know, the cool thing about that is, is that it was so low risk and it was for a 4-H project and yeah. it was a bunch of junior high and high school kids in a production agency sort of mentality. Like we had clients, we had deadlines, we had projects that we had to get done and we were kind of paid. Sometimes we were paid, sometimes we weren't, sometimes it was for 4-H credit, sometimes it wasn't, but it was like that really exciting time in TV when everything was moving from tape to tape to nonlinear editing. So it was a really easy access point for this really beginnings of digital of digital, which is funny. I sound like I'm such an old, I'm such an old man in the video world. Um, but it really was, I mean, mini DV had just come out. You could start to edit on a computer. I remember the first time we actually got to edit on a computer um, so it was that, that moment in television history where it went from analog to digital. Well, that's, it's kind of what I was going to ask is like the starting of your career, obviously there's, um, you know, that's fascinating how you, you mentioned non-linear editing. The, one of the first questions I had for you was 
was your early on film days more studio focus, more outside, you know, outside focus versus more like creative editing and animation? Sure. And yeah, yeah. How, how, what was kind of the evolution of where it started and where it's at now versus what your focus is? Well, the funny part is, is I'm really not doing that much differently than things differently than I was doing when I first started. So my yeah. very, 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 very first, not home movie, but like very first thing I ever shot was a story about shooting sports, which is a 4-H project where kids are learn, or kids are taught how to respect firearms, how to shoot firearms properly, um, how to handle firearms, how to safely care for them, shoot in different positions, and they use a BB gun and pellet guns to hit targets. If it's a very Montana, like 4-H kind of like, we're going to go play with guns. But it's oh, yeah. true. I mean, it's, but it's a really like, it's an important thing. I mean, these kids are 12 years old and they're, lear they're, they're learning the proper ways to respect and use firearms. So that was my very first story. That was the very first thing. But I went out with my instructor, my 4-H, her name is BJ. She's amazing. Um, you know, shout out to Vid Kids. That was the name of our group. Um, but we went out, we had tripods. Sounds like a spinoff of like kids bop or something like that. Yeah, totally. It was way pre kids bop, but it was very much that like we were vid kids. And so we had to go tell the story of 4 H shooting sports and not like we had this morning with a kickoff with a client. We had to talk about what we were going to shoot, what the expectations were for the shoot, who we were going to talk to on camera, what B roll were we going to get? When did we have to have it done? Who was going to do the editing? It was that same process. And I've just been doing that process now every day for 24 plus years. Um, it's a lot higher stakes and it's a lot different. And it's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more effort behind it with lots of different people. But the work itself isn't really all that different than it was in 1998 when I shot my first thing. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, so, so then transition to the, you know, when you first, first shot your first thing and then evolving to, um, the news, I mean, are you literally like when I, when I, when you, when I heard you say that I'm picturing like guy behind the, the anchor with the camera, you know, sort of thing. Was it that was sort it more of? like, a, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. So that's how I started. So in the news business, it's all about opportunity and yep. anticipation and, just being kind of annoying. Um, so I I knew I wanted to be a news photographer from the moment a television news reporter came to a junior high college day thing that we did at the University of Montana. We drove from White Sulphur, which was three hours away. We drove to Missoula, spent a couple of days learning about different programs. We did the journalism school and a news reporter from one of the TV stations in Missoula came talked to the group about the exciting stories that he'd been on all the cool things he's been able to do but he brought a camera and it was a big like beta sp 40 pound monster shoulder camera with a black and white viewfinder and it had the logo of the station like emblazoned on the side and i put that on my shoulder and it was really heavy at the time and i knew like right then like this is what i want to do i want to be the guy that does this camera work and so from there like I just said, that's what, that's it. I'm going to be the camera guy. So I figured out a way to, when I got to college, I figured out a way to get in with that TV station with the help of my, uh, my advisor as a studio cam up. 
So that's what you're saying is the guy that's in the studio behind the camera, moving the cameras between takes and moving the cameras between pictures and pictures and broadcasts and moving it over for weather. And then because I was in the newsroom and because I knew how to shoot, cause I'd been doing it already for 10, you know, almost 10 years by the time I got to college, more like six, like six years since I go to college, like I had experience. And so one night there was breaking news. There was no photographer. Uh, I was standing out by the anchor, de- the anchors like work desks and the scanner went off and something like, Hey, there's a house fire. And they're like, can you go, can you shoot? And I was like, yes. And I did. And from that point forward, I was a news photographer and I didn't really do the studio stuff anymore. I would, I, I switched my job. They noticed that I could shoot and edit and write and produce. And I was just standing at the right spot and I'd been there for months waiting for that opportunity. And so I took that super seriously and away I went. And then I was a news photographer for KPAX for all the rest of college. So the three, two and a half years left of college. And then after college, I went and did an Orlando full time. That's amazing. What would you say is the, uh, the most exciting news uh, worthy event that you filmed or moment that you filmed? And what would you, what would you say is the, was like the one you were the most feared for your life or well being? Oh, so we don't have enough beer to really go into that right now. But if we go out and do this again with drinking, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's fun <laughs> to say we should do this a few hours later. And uh, yeah, this is a little bit later. Um, I just got back from vacation. I'm trying to be good. Um, yeah, I get it. So, I get it. So the the stories that everybody would recognize mostly would be Lisa Nowak, the astronaut who drove from Texas to Florida to chase her love triangle, boyfriend, girlfriend, other astronauts thing that happened when I was in in Orlando. Um, that was pretty big. I've done a bunch of shuttle stories. So return to flight in 2006 when space shuttle, uh, after the Columbia disaster, um, when discovery went back up into space, that whole process of getting discovery and all of NASA back ready to fly human flight again, human space flight. I did a lot of the stories there. I was there about a mile. Is that like nerve wracking? Like when you wake up in the morning and it's like, okay, well, cause I'm thinking like, obviously, you know, big fires or something like that. Like you can cover a lot of ground, but I feel like with Mm -hmm. something that's a planned premeditated big event, there's gotta Mm -hmm. be some nerves because like, you know, what if you miss the takeoffs? Oh yeah. Don't miss the shot. No, no, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole, um, I guess PTSD, if you will, from news of fill the slot, never miss the slot, don't miss the shot. Um, yeah, uh, I kind of thing. but yeah, I mean, it, news is great because you get to do a million things in your career. Um, you know, and the shuttle launches are cool because it is this really huge buildup, and then when the launch scrubs, it's like you start all over a couple of days later. And um, I actually extended my internship a couple of times for various stories like that where. Things would build up to it, and then they would get scrubbed. Um, I've done a bunch of big hurricanes. I've done Casey. I did a couple Casey Anthony stories. So right after I worked for the TV station in Orlando, I freelanced for networks. So CBC, CNBC, CBS, CNN. I did some coverage while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I just did some freelance news work for, for network stuff. Um, I've been shot at a couple of times. I've been chased off property a couple of times. I've done countless car accidents, um, big, small, you name it. The presidential elections, I've met 
uh, the 2008 presidential election, I met most of the big candidates, including Obama, McCain, Giuliani. Um, who else was there? there? Was a ton of them in 08. Um, you just get to you know, in Orlando is such a crazy market that you get to do some really wild stuff because it's Florida and everything crazy happens in Florida. Yeah. It's a, it's the centerfold of the like both extremes of entertainment. Um, yeah. So, you know, and like when I worked at Disney and worked for Disney and also for SeaWorld, I mean, I got to do a ton of really big impact stories for things that were happening at Disney, also big celebrity things. I worked on a bunch of Disney shows. Um, I just got to do a ton of different things in my career, which is, been pretty cool. I love it. I love it. So, um, well, oh, one, of, one of the questions I was going to ask on that actually is uh, how much of it, like when I think, you know, reporters, you think, hmm. um, you know, a, a president standing up there and people lining out the door asking questions and the loudest one typically gets asked or whoever the president wants to have speak sort of thing. With right. that on the film side, I mean, is it kind of like, butting heads, you know, elbows to get the, you know, to get the perfect shot. And then I guess the other thing too is like how much, and maybe you can't answer this, but how much like non-ethical filming is there in the world of like, <laughs> well, you know, Hey, the good shots typically are what you're not allowed to see sort of thing. Well, okay. So to answer the first part of the question, you do get into some scrums. Like I can remember it was major national story out of Orlando. I want to say it was a missing kid or um, someone that was, uh, was there a missing kid or a murder? It's, it's sad that I don't remember the details, but it was something where it was a big, it was a big deal. And there were CNN, all the nationals are there, all the global, some of the globals were there, all the locals were there. And it's a whole horde of us just fighting for the best angle of the guy being walked out of the police station or the, the mom, it was the mom being walked, it might've been Casey Anthony. I think it was Casey Anthony. That makes that it was probably Casey Anthony. That whole 2008 2009 was a kind of a news blur. Um, but yeah, you are totally like elbowing each other. And I'm not a very tall individual, um, and a lot of news photographers, are yeah, you're preaching, you're preaching the choir on that one, I'm right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm kind of short and I'm low to the ground. Um, so I can actually, I was always able to get a really good shot kind of under people's elbows and under people's armpits because a lot of the news photographers are bigger dudes. Either they're bigger tall or bigger wide, depends on who you are. <laughs> um, and so the short guys, myself and Gary, who's a photographer at our, at our station, we could always like sneak under the radar and get the best shots because we were low, a little bit lower to the ground from everybody and we weren't bumping elbows and heads. Um, so that's kind of always been used to my advantage of a, a, a spot for my height. The ethical part, in my experience, there's not a lot of unethical work in television news. These people work their asses off to get the best thing they can. There is a lot of trauma and a lot of destruction and a lot of like, oh, that's a body part. Or, oh, that's a, you know, part of this burn victim. Or, oh, that's the missing, you know, like when you're on scene. There are a few times that I can remember from being on different, like car accidents, house fires, uh, double homicides, where you're like, you have a really good relationship, or you should have a really good relationship with like the first responders, the police and the fire that show up. And they'll sometimes just kind of let you get what you need so you get out of their way. Um, especially if there's like an 
a foregone conclusion of what the scene is and they're not like actively investigating or looking for something they'll just kind of like okay you stay in your zone right here and you can get what you can get from here and cover your story and then get out of my way so you have to like go back to the truck and like edit it and you're like oh i can't show that because there's that part of something or someone and but there's not you know we yeah i mean i guess that's what I, I i've never really thought of that about that perspective is like obviously the people who are at a traumatic scene, like the experience they get, but then there's the camera and the crews behind it and how much they experience. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, there is a lot of editing, not literally just to make the, the production look good, but there's editing out of what can be shown in those scenarios. I mean, yeah, we have to be like, you know, with TV news, like now that there's the internet and you have a Twitter and, and a lot of other outlets to see this stuff and TikTok and like everything that's going on in the, in the digital space today. But when I was, when I was in news, um, it was, you know, we broadcast out onto the air and we had some stuff online, but we sort of followed the same FCC guidelines that you'd have. So you couldn't show blood and guts and nasty stuff because you'd make all of your, you'd make everybody mad or there's certain rules of things you could and couldn't do. Um, so it, it, it depends, you know, the cool part is, is that we had a really good, um, newsroom editorial team at the TV station that I worked at that was very, we were very transparent with what we got and they were very aware and they set a really good expectation of what they expected. And there was a really good precedent of like, here's what good looks like. Here's what bad looks like. Here's what you can get. Here's what you don't want to get. And there was a lot of veterans on that team. Cause I was young, like I was straight out of college. A lot of these guys had been doing the stuff that I'd been doing for 20 years to work their way up to the station. And I was able to find some opportunity and work my butt off to get a place on that team. And so I was able to learn a lot of like, don't shoot this, do shoot that, talk about this, don't talk about that. And these were world-class reporters. So they knew the line to draw, but we did get into some things where we were like asking tough questions and getting in people's face and knocking on doors of people that didn't want to be, have a TV camera in their face. And we got into some hairy situations where definitely they didn't want to see a TV camera there and we were there. Yeah. And not all the time was it really for the best purpose and the best reason. I mean, sometimes it was that their kid was just killed. Other times it was they were stealing money from the elderly or they were jipping off people because of the roofing company or all the things you happen to happen in most cities, but especially in Orlando. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes sense. Um, so I, I, I asked this, so I had uh lunch Piro who is a, uh, a sports writer for the Washington Post covered nice. numerous super. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just saying that. Nice. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Covered you know a lot of on the Washington Post. He covered Miracle on Ice, a bunch of different stuff. Um, and I asked him this question, and I like to ask only original questions, but I feel like this is applicable for you too. What what would you say? Um, you know, there's nothing like being in the moment at the moment watching the moment so like from his yeah. perspective like reporting on it was you know sometimes you could do it justice sometimes you can't amazing moments like that so for you what would you say was a moment during your reporting career that you felt like you really filmed and gave justice to a story that's like kind of almost impossible to give justice to oh deep um i can think of two stories right away one, we did a missing kid in Montana and we were, there was a little boy, he'd, he, they were, their family was camping, a little five-year-old boy wandered away from the campsite and they just couldn't find him. 
couldn't find him. I mean, this is Montana. This is this is the middle of summer. Still gets pretty cold overnight. They called out the search and rescue team. They did the dive team because there was a little bit of water nearby. They were in the water looking, grid searching. There was helicopters, but it was pretty thick brush. And we were able to be there to tell the story of this missing kid that got volunteers out of their seats to come up into the woods. And we found the kid. You know, had there not been volunteers and had we not made a big stink about this story and not been there, I don't think it would have been such a big deal. And we told a really heartfelt story the first time we did it of this kid and why his parents were out there. And then we were there when he when he was found, like we were following up on the story from the night before. And I didn't really even go home that night because I'm like, you know what, I'm going to stick here. I'm going to help find this kid. Even if I'm not working, I'm going to help find this kid. And we were we were shooting an interview when the kid comes out of the rocks and he just shows up and he's all sunburnt and scratched and ripped and he's five. So he can really only communicate how scared he was. But his, the face on his mom, I will never forget the look on his mom's face when he was there. And we just flipped the camera, showed the reunion, edited a package. And it was just a really great moment uh, of, of that. Another Another element of that is just telling sort of those stories that would get forgotten if they weren't. Um, we did this amazing story of this little old guy who had house bar- his houseboat had burnt down the night before in Sanford. And the highway was just going to come through and Tara's home, where his, had his houseboat, where his houseboat was, go- was going to be, they were going to move it all out and move him from his location. And the night before his houseboat burned down, he lost his cat, he lost all the things. And then we, the, the neighbors that really were really touched for him and part of his community all came together and gave him what he needed to sort of move on with his life and get the things that so he could like have clothes and have a shelter and all this stuff. And we interviewed this giant burly motorcycle guy. And he just started talking about how much this guy's life had meant to him. And he just breaks down in tears and he called him his little old, his little old alligator and the, just the impact of that story we heard about for weeks from viewers saying, hey, this was a great story. Thank you for telling these stories. You know, it's not your typical like this guy's house burned down. Here's what happened. Here's where it was. We really humanized sort of that moment of loss, but also the community grabbing around it. And those two kind of community moments really stand out to me in my career. Some of my favorite moments that we were able to hopefully translate that feeling to the audience. I love it. That's amazing. I mean, and that's something obviously not as it just the moment and filming that and showing it to the people that are aware, but it's also like not to make it too like legalistic sounding, but it's kind of that system of record almost where it's yeah. like you, you have something that for eternity, hopefully yep. knock on wood. I mean, just forever right. that you can, you can look back and watch and, and remember those moments. And unfortunately there's plenty of bad ones out there, but the, right. the good ones, you know, we hope every once in a while outweighs the bad ones. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it was just, it was just really, it was really cool moments of like, community and, and and humanity inside of tragedy and it's funny because i hadn't thought about it but like the same kind of stories are the same kind of stories that we like telling now i mean it's we don't use tragedy but it's really humanizing all the things that we're doing so that's that's what's always kept me sort of in the storytelling business it's changed a bunch but it's still that idea of how can we take this moment thing whatever and turn it into something that someone else can connect to it the same way I we may have done 
Yep. I love it. So tell me, you know, obviously on, on the vein of, um, storytelling, talk a little bit more about your business now and what you guys are up to and, um, what that looks like. Yeah. So we are a full service video production and experience company. Um, what we do is we are essentially, we operate like an old school video agency or an old school in-house video department. If you've ever like, again, back in the TV days, way back when, um, a lot of companies used to have an in-house AV team that would drop in and do all the things for them. That's how we're structured now. I mean, I, I grew up in this news business, but also in the corporate world. And I always saw this as an opportunity to be a better extension of a marketing department or of a nonprofit or of an enterprise that needs to tell stories any which way. So you need to launch a product. That's a story. You need to to launch a service, that's a story. You need to get the COVID communications out to your entire team in a moment of chaos. That's definitely what we've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, internal communication stories, attention retention stories, core value stories. It's that same idea of using a little bit of enterprising reporting and videography and storytelling from the news, but also mixing it with the more high-end stuff that we learned from Disney and SeaWorld and our, our team has a bunch of experience from films and other corporate worlds and all this really unique perspective. And so we at 730 Eddie Studios, we're sort of that mix of that. And we, you know, we just went through a big process for us. Uh, we started EOS about eight months ago. And part of EOS is sort of finding your core niche and ours is delivering video experiences for clients. And so we, we honed in on that video experience part because it's not just the video itself. When it's not just the, hey, we're going to come write, shoot, edit, and deliver, and then send you an invoice. It's the holistic picture of how that makes you feel, how it makes your clients feel, how it makes your audience feel, and what that experience was like for you to get the product and project done. But also, what does the end user feel? Do they feel what you want them to feel with your live stream, with your live event with your video for social with your product launch video with your commercial whatever we approach it in a slightly different manner and we sort of lens it all around this idea of how can we be in our space to help you as if we are your internal team versus just an agency of record that you hire for this certain little thing yeah no i like it i don't know if this is like a Fair question or maybe a really dumb question, but Send it. would you rather um, would you rather film and produce something that's a minute long or an hour long? Ooh. Hmm. Well, they can both take the same amount of work. I'm sure that's I, I, I'm not, not, so... not making not making one. And let's say you got paid the same amount or whatever it may be. Make make it Ooh. as even as fair and even just purely fair from the creative is. mindset. So the editor in me would want to be like, hey, let's do this in tight package as we possibly can so we can have the most impact and the most people will want to watch it. And the same side of like the producer side is like, well, yeah, you got to make it fast because attention spans last however long a TikTok lasts. So that's, that's hard. But also like a 60 minute thing, there's this golden age in this long form TV. And even we're seeing in the corporate space, there's two games being played. There's the short form, quick term, or not even quick term, but the short form 
quick attention, grab it, but then people want to know more. So that that's where that 60 minute, like long form kind of thing, that binge watching mentality kind of goes in. If I could break the 60 minutes into smaller chunks, like four 15s, I would probably lean that way. If I could only do it 60 minutes or 60 seconds, oh, I just, if I had the same budget and I could do the same Here's production. Oh, thanks. Sorry. Um, if I had the same budget and the same, hmm, I'd probably say 60 seconds just because you can do so much in a minute. I love that. I love that. And that's, you know, it's funny you say that. That's kind of what we preach with our business too, is like when companies are like, well, candidates need five minutes to answer a question. It's like, do you know how much you can pack into a single minute? It is. You can put a lot. And if you, if you're really, if you have say a hundred thousand dollars to tell a minute and a hundred thousand dollars to tell a 60 minute story, I would approach those completely different, but the outcome might stay relatively the same. The audience would just be you'd have to be super focused on what the audience wanted because they're so different and you could miss the, the like the margin of error of missing the mark for the audience is so great. You'd want to spend a little bit of that budget researching and figuring out which one was the most important for what you were trying to get them to think about or feel about you. Yep. 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 Love it. So Andy, my, uh, my favorite question on the planet is, uh, what gets people out of bed in the morning? Mainly because okay. it's not just the driver for like what you get paid to do, which is not a bad reason right. to get out of the bed in the morning, but it, it nope. kind of covers a lot, a lot broader to that. So for you, what, sure. what is that? Well, it's usually a golden retriever's breath. That's like <sighs> wanting to go outside. That's I what can, usually I can relate, I can relate to that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or it's her tail that just smacks against the bed and like a like get out of bed dude um no but what drives me is you know 10 years ago in my news world it was the adrenaline like i was ready to get out of bed because i wanted to go find the next story and i wanted to be on the next big thing and i wanted to jump in the sat truck with my camera and a reporter we're gonna go conquer the world in a story like that's adrenaline i was an adrenaline junkie um but now it's growing this team i mean it's so funny. I, it, the, the culture fit and the sort of just little tweaks that we've been able to do to our company since starting EOS and really focusing my role has changed from being the nitty gritty nuts and bolts, shoot it, edit, write it, produce it, get it out the door to more of a on the business role. Now, like what gets me out of bed and even this, even this morning, like I, I landed at two o'clock last night from Utah and I'm, I was here at seven. So like, what got me here this morning was just the ability to make sure that my team had the information that we needed to get done from me and the people that I had, I was the block for, if, if, or, or I was the gatekeeper of, or just had the access to so that we could start this Monday because we have a huge couple of weeks coming and everybody was on the right foot and everybody was in the right zone. And that's what, that's what really cra is cranking it right now is that, how can I build my team and build my business to support the team and our clients? And that has just been really, really exciting to me. And I would have never guessed that coming out of college. That's what I would want to do. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. So Andy, for somebody who wants to learn more about your business, for somebody that wants to follow along with what you're doing, um, yep. what's the best way for them to either get a hold of you, to reach out, to communicate, whatever? Uh, best way is to probably just email me. 
or the business or anybody really anybody or company so email me andy at 730eddy.com so it's 730eddy.com or check out us on social we're on instagram facebook um check out our podcast all of our click links are there i mean you can go to the website it's pretty easy to find us because we're a communications company if we can't communicate who we are and what we do we're not doing a great job um we're working on that though so it's a constant work in progress um, but yeah, just check out 730eddy.com, email andy at 730eddy.com, um, find me on LinkedIn, whatever. Say, hey, I heard you. I want more info. We'll make sure we get you get more info and we'll connect. I love that. That's awesome. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Uh, it's been a blast getting to know you and I'm fired up for uh, for your business and the uh, the storytelling you can help in the world. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.